things we can do. So this week we're going to talk about equipping people. And so I've got a few slides uh, coming up. If you, the first one coming up here is one of my favorite movies. Anybody ever seen this movie, Hook? I love this movie. Now, with the exception of about two movies, I love just about anything Robin Williams was in. Um, the Death to Smoochie, I think, was one of those ones I think should have never been made. But, but this one, you know, as you look at this, I mean, who are the two people on the screen? Just holler it out. Holler it out, not whisper it out. Dustin Hoffman, Robin Williams. Okay, there were other you know, well-known actors, actors and actresses. You had Julia Roberts, you had Bob Hoskins. But if you think about it, those are the names we remember. But in these next few slides, I want you to see a smidgen of how many people it took to pull that movie off. Robin Williams gets the, the credit for the most part because he was Peter Pan. But all these people had something to do with that movie. Now, I only put up five or six slides. I could have put up 25 to 30 slides of the number of people that it took to pull off one movie. So you always see the Oscars and all these different things where the main actors or the directors are the ones who come up and, and accept the award and get to take it home and put it on their shelf. But they could never get that award without everybody helping them, without all these people, even from something as simple as the one person who stands there and holds the mic just out of camera range so they can hear what the actors are saying, but you don't see the mic. Now, it's become real popular lately to point out all the mistakes in movies. And I'll be honest, I love to sit and watch those. You know, you got one guy who's talking, and one time his tie's pulled up tight, and then the next thing is down here, and then it's pulled back up. I think, what is he doing? You know, I mean, you're standing there fixing your tie the whole time, but it's just because they forget where they were in the filming of it, and they come back and you put it back together, and things are different. So, so we see those mistakes. And I think in a lot of ways, we do the same thing with the church. We expect the people up front to be the ones who are responsible for making it happen. We expect the ones who are up front to get all the credit. And we gripe and complain when one little thing doesn't quite measure up. And so I want us to see today, how did God really design this? And we've had this discussion as, as some of the leaders here. I work with a church planting organization. We have just this last week decided we're going to start focusing some in the United States, but in a different kind of way than, than we do as City Church and the Radius Church of Network, the Network of Churches. It's because we are focusing on unreached people groups, and now that's the reason we've kind of shifted to the U.S. lately because people are coming here. But the point is, those church plants all look different no matter where you are in the world. We have some church plants in Central Asia that this right here, this number of people that we may go, this is a small church, they would be freaking out if this many people were there. Because they have it in their living room. And if more than 10 or 12 people show up, so do the police. You've got to have it like a dinner party. That's church. We're, we're all coming together to have dinner. And it's really church, but you, you don't want a lot of people there because they think you're not feeding that many people. And the police show up and take you to jail. 
So my point on this is, is what is the church all about? How did, how did God design it? Did he design it? I'm going to be drinking water from time to time. I'm dry this morning. Did he design it that we have a nice setup, that we have nice pews, that we have nice chairs, and all these things? Did he design it that we only meet in homes? Did he design it that we only meet? I've met in a church. I've had two meetings in churches in the uh, country of Moldova. One of them, we sat on a broken down bed under a tree, and we had church. One of them, we pulled up to the side of the road and blew the horn, and everybody came out of the fields. We had church on the side of the road. So the issue is not what it looks like, and none of those are right or wrong. You know, it's not going to work to pull up to the side of the road and blow your horn and get everybody to come around on I-20. Okay, you can't have church on I-20 on the side of the road with 10 or 15 people because they're all going to die. All right, so, so it's not a matter of what it looks like and what the building looks like and all those different things. The issue is, why has God called us together? And why has God called City Church together? And what's that going to look like? So if you, if you have a Bible with you, you can turn there. If not, just look up on the screen. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says this, However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, When he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives, and he gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now these are the gifts. Christ gave some to the church, gave to the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son, that, he will, that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of every new teaching. We will, excuse me, we will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. I skipped a slide up here and I want us to go back to that one. Our Kent Hughes says this, The bottom line for every Christian is that each one of us should be involved in some kind of ministry. Did you hear that? Each one of us should be involved in some kind of ministry. And I said last week, it's a relatively new thing that we have paid staff members on churches. And relatively new is is still one of those relative words. It's it's been around for hundreds of years, but compared to how the church started, it's a new phenomenon. And I think it's okay. I don't think it's a bad thing that we have paid staff members. But I think we've got to be real careful that we don't get the mentality that says the paid staff member is paid to do the job for us. Because the scripture says here, and we're going to look more and more, that we're all called to.
to do a ministry. We may not be called into professional ministry where we get paid for it, but we're all called to do a ministry. In verses four through, I mean, 7 through 12, he starts with the word however there. And the reason he says however is in verses 1 through 6, he's challenging them to unity in the body of Christ. That we need to come together, we need to walk in the same manner, we need to understand each other, walk together. But he says we need to be careful that we don't change it so that now we say, okay, there's unity, so everybody has got to look alike. And everybody's got to be alike. He says, there's unity, however, God gave gifts so that these things will happen. And he gave different gifts and different abilities because if we all did the same thing, it would be real boring. You know, my household and and the household I grew up in, the household I live in now, we have a tendency around the dinner table, around Thanksgiving, to all want to talk at the same time. You know, that's, that's fair. We, we are, we're real good at it. I grew up learning that I can listen to this conversation and participate in this conversation and throw in a word every once in a while in this conversation. Um, but the reality is, if we were all standing up here today talking, it would be mass confusion. You know, so we, it's not that we all have the same gift. It's not that we're all exactly alike, but we all have a ministry to participate in. And he says here, this, this kind of weird terminology here, we don't use it a whole lot, but he talks about Jesus ascending and descending. And the idea here is Jesus came to earth, he, he lived as a man, he died, he rose again, and he ascended back to heaven. When he ascended back to heaven, it says he gave gifts to men. And the idea here is the victor in war. When they would go off and, and war in those days, they would bring back the spoils of war. The king would ascend back to his throne and those spoils would be distributed among the people. And so he's saying when Christ accomplished what he accomplished, he went back to heaven and he gave gifts to the people so that they could do what they're called to do. So then he begins to describe what those gifts are. He says here, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. He lists four groups there. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, and then pastors, teachers is kind of all together. It could be five if you want to say five, pastors and teachers. And so the idea here is, now there's two opinions as to what the apostles and the prophets are. I'm going to tell you what those two opinions are, then I'm going to tell you my opinion. Don't go away saying that's the truth, I'm just saying that's what my opinion is. The two opinions are the apostles and prophets are no longer around. That those were the original 12 apostles and the original prophets that were the Old Testament prophets and some of the ones in the New Testament who were part of writing the New Testament and getting things started. Those no longer exist. That's one opinion. My opinion is, yes, those are true. There's no longer apostles like the original 12. There's no longer prophets like the Old Testament prophets. But there are still people who have the gift of apostleship and the gift of prophecy. Apostles would be those who are church planting among, like pioneering church planting. They go into an area where there's no churches. They're starting a whole thing. They have a gift of apostleship. Prophets are ones who have an understand, a unique understanding of the Word of God and how it applies to our lives. Again, that's my opinion. The point is God has given gifts. All of these gifts are gifts that are designed for what? First off, they're designed to equip 
the saints. There's a twofold purpose. It's to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So when we have leaders, whether they stand up front, whether they're a city group leader, whether they lead a specific ministry, the point is not that they do all the work. The point is that we, in these positions, have the responsibility, the stewardship, if you want to use that term, to help everybody else get the job done. And that's not always easy, because it sounds like, okay, I'm going to tell you how to do it, and I'm going to sit back and watch you do it. That's not equipping. We, we had that kind of joke this morning. You, know, you see it all the time, where you, know, you have three supervisors standing on the side of the road, and one guy working his tail off, and everybody else is kind of standing around, drinking their coffee and shooting the breeze. And, and the reality is, it's because they don't know how to do it. You know, they're, they're there to make sure it gets done, but they have no clue what that guy's doing down in that hole. You know, they're just, they got to watch him. And, and most of the time, they're not really watching him. That's not the picture here. The picture is we equip one another to, to do the job. So it means I may not know how to do the job specifically, but I give you everything you need to do the ministry that God's called you to do. I come alongside you and I help you do it as best I can. We all are called to a ministry. You say, well, what is mine? I don't know what yours is. Maybe yours is God's called you to the job you work right now to a group of people that need Jesus. And you say, well, that's great, but I don't know how to do it. That's where the equipping comes in. Let somebody come alongside and teach you how to do it. So we... We're, we're called to, the leadership is there to equip the saints. Why? So that it edifies the church. There's one of those words, those churchy words we throw around. Edifies the church. So you say, well, what does that mean? Well, let's look at the passage because they translate it differently here. To build up the church. That doesn't mean build a building. That may be part of it. But the issue is we're building up the body of Christ. We're helping the body of Christ to understand how it works together, to be encouraged, to be strengthened, to do what we're called to do. So we equip and we, we encourage. It's not just I go, well, here, I gave you the tools. Why aren't you getting the job done? No, I've given you the tools. I've come alongside. I help you. I encourage you. I strengthen you. I build you up. And then when there's times when you go, I just don't, I've been sharing the gospel with this person that works with me for six months, and they just look at me like I'm crazy. Then I go, you know, just keep hanging in there. Let's, let's work together. Let's pray. You know, so we, it's this building up together. So that's what the purpose of these leadership gifts are. But there are other gifts also. Now, what are the results of this? If we do what, what we're called to do, if we are exercising our gifts for the equipping of the saints and the building up of the church, what are the results? Verse 13 says this. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. See, the first result, if we're doing what God's called us to do, is maturity. That we grow up. That we become what God's called us to be. That we continue to, to learn more and more. It's not that we 
hear more and more. It's that we learn more and more and we change more and more. My wife teaches a college algebra course. And I took algebra in high school. And and I sort of remember some of it. It's been a long time since high school. And so when she's explaining some things, some things I go, oh yeah, I I remember that. And some things I'm just glazed over. I don't have any idea what she's talking about. You know, I know she knows what she's talking about and that's good. But... But the point here is, I didn't mature in algebra. I survived algebra. I made it through algebra. And I learned it, and I knew it then enough to take a test. And I know enough of it now that there's sometimes I actually use some of it. But there's some of it I forgot. Because I didn't put it in regular use. And we do the same thing with the church. I mean, you know, the, the deer in the headlights look when I said you might have a quiz from last week. Oh, my goodness. i got to remember what we talked about last week. But it's not a matter of just recalling it. As we begin to apply it to our lives and live it, then it may not be able to understand and repeat the exact words that I used last week. But as we live it, we are maturing and growing, and we do know it. We do have, I can't tell you just off the top of my head all the different formulas from algebra. But there's a lot of them that I use on a regular basis because it became part of what I had to do on a regular basis. And so that's what maturity is. It's, it's marked by a unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. The next word here is it brings stability. Verse 14, that we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about By every wind of new teaching, we will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. This last week, this last week, man, it's been a long time. We watched things and people and trees and boats and buildings tossed to and fro. And that's what he's saying. When we grow up and we're mature, we no longer are tossed about like that. When I was in high school, we'd go to Six Flags a lot. And at that point in time, I don't know if it's age, if something inner ear, whatever. I used to could ride everything. You know, they had one ride called the Spindle Top. And you, you stood in this bucket, and it started to spin. And it spun fast enough that you stuck to the walls and the bottom lowered out. You know, and so people are turning upside down. And just the thought of it right now makes me nauseous. You know, there's no way I could ride it anymore. But it's that idea. We're just scrambled around. We're tossed to... It just doesn't make sense. It makes us feel weird. You know, but when we are equipping one another and building up one another, then then it brings a stability that says, even in those times when things seem crazy and tossed about, we are, we're stable, we're secure. We don't allow that thing to, to toss me around and change me. And then verse 15. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing up in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of His body, the church. It brings charity. Speaking the truth in love. See, speaking the truth is real popular today. You say, does everybody tell the truth? That's not what I mean. What I mean is it's become real popular today 
It's my opinion. I'm going to tell you my opinion, whether you like it or not. I'm not bold enough most of the time to tell you to your face. I'm just going to put it in Facebook or Twitter. We all want to speak the truth because we got to get our opinion out. That's not what Paul says. He says, speaking the truth in love, in charity. The idea is, when I'm speaking the truth, there's a purpose that is to make you more like Christ, to help you grow and be what God's called you to be. It's like yesterday, I was with my boss. All the ladies from the ministry had a a big gathering, and and so I went over, not that he needed help, but he's got three small children, and so I thought, well, I'll go hang out with him and play with the kids and all that. Well, about halfway through the day, the one that's almost three, the little boy, and there's a little boy that's about 18 months, the three-year-old decided it'd be a good idea to headbutt his brother. Okay? And it wasn't like he tripped and, and they ran into each other. He just, boom, you know. And, and my boss said, well, you know, watch what you're doing. And I said, he, he was watching what he was doing, you know. He, he did it. There was no, it didn't, he didn't trip, he didn't bump into him. He was watching exactly what he was doing. Now, what's my point there? My boss had to speak the truth to his three-year-old. Not what the three-year-old wanted to hear, but what was the loving thing to say. What needed to be said so that that three-year-old knows it's not a good idea to headbutt your little 18-month-old brother. Now, granted, the three-year-old and the 18-month-old are about the same size. So, you know, the the 18-month-old didn't even hardly flinch. But but that's not the point. As we share the truth with one, that we speak the truth, the goal is to help each other be more like Christ, not just to get my frustration and my opinion out. And when we do that, verse 16, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. It brings community. See, we use the word community a lot of times today the same way we use the word fellowship when I was growing up in the church. It means we get together, we eat, we hang out, we laugh, we have a good time, we go home. That's not community. That's not fellowship. That's hanging out together. Nothing wrong with it. But true community helps the body be what God's called it to be. Everybody's doing their part. Everything fits together like it's supposed to so that the body can function the way it's called to function. It becomes mature. R. Kent Hughes says this, God is not so much interested in our being the star of the show as He is in our doing our best with the part He has given us. As we all do our own part, we experience church growth. As everybody's doing what they're called to do, that's when the body of Christ grows. Not necessarily always numerically. But it's when the body of Christ grows to become what God's called it to be. And, and, and we become like Christ. R.C. Sproul says this, Every member of the church is a gift, and every member is to grow in the exercise of his or her gift. Every member has a part to play in the building up of the community of God in history and eternity. Do we realize the ramifications of that? It's not just that we do our part so that somewhere down the line, 
Somebody says, I really like City Church in the history of the world. As we do our part, it makes a difference for eternity. There's a stewardship there that's more than just building City Church. There's a stewardship there that says we're there to impact people's eternity. Lastly, Tony Evans says this, if all of us in the body don't play the part God has called us to play, then the ministry of the church will be stymied. And to the degree that we stymie the church accordingly, we will lose God's blessing and incur His judgment. Now, when I'm studying a passage of Scripture, when I'm trying to figure out what do I need to even share with you or to learn in my own life, I ask a question that sounds kind of rude because we use it in a rude way. But I ask the question, so what? I've read all this, studied all this, I've learned what it's supposed to look like, so what now? Maybe that's a better way of saying it. Rather than saying, so what? Because we say, so what? But, so what now? What, what needs to happen? What needs to change? What, what in this passage do we need to learn? I think we need to learn some things about church membership. One is, church membership is unity in diversity. Now, now God has blessed us here at City Church with being diverse. Um, sorry, eth- sorry, ethically. Well, that'd be bad, wouldn't it? Ethnically. We're diver- diverse ethnically. I got really processing which one I was supposed to say. <laughs> but we're diverse ethnically. And that's part of it. But it's also part of it that he's brought us together that we have a diversity of giftings. We have a diversity of ministries. We have a diversity of even experiences. All this comes together. Why? So that God is glorified. Because if we all looked alike and we all acted alike and we all talked alike and we all had the same ministry, then he doesn't get the glory of being a God over all. So church membership is unity in diversity. Church membership is about service, not the service. You get that one? It's not about what we do at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings. It's part of it. But it's mostly about what is God doing for us to serve one another and serve West Columbia and whoever else God brings into our path. It's about service and not the service. Church membership means everything we do is based in love. Do we truly love one another? Because it doesn't mean, love doesn't mean we always say the easy thing. It doesn't mean we always say the fun thing. But it does mean our goal and our purpose is to help one another become more and more like Christ. Sometimes it means we say something encouraging. Sometimes it means we say something hard. But we don't just say it hard because we want to get it off our chest. We say it hard in love to help the person become more and more like Christ. Bless you. And then lastly, church membership is functioning membership. To be honest, we can't pull this off with two or three or four people. 
We all have a part to play. Now, maybe you don't know what that part is, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But we all have a part to play. So as we, we kind of come to the end here, I want you to ask this question of yourself. Because I can't tell you the answer to this question. But I want you to ask yourself, how can I best serve my church? Now, you may ask that question and you really, honestly, don't have any idea. And that's fine. That's why we're learning and growing together. You may ask that question, and it's very clear in your mind how you can serve, but you're just not doing it, and God says, time to step up to the plate. Time to do it. But I put the index cards on your, your chair. Now, maybe you say, well, I don't have a pen. Somebody around you is going to have a pen. If not, there's some over there. What I want you to say, ask yourself, and don't write this because you want to satisfy me. We're going to pray, and I want you to pray and say, Lord, what can I do to best serve my church? And if you truly want to be a part of service here at City Church, all you're going to do is write your name and your email address on that card. You can leave it sitting on the chair. You can put it in the offering box. You can hand it to me personally. But as we are in this transition time as a church... We'll sit down. I can't guarantee it'll be this week. But we will sit down with you and say, okay, here's some spiritual gifts tests. Here's some different things we can work through together to figure out where you best fit in the church. What your ministry can be. And then we'll commit ourselves to doing those ministries so that the body of Christ can be mature and stable and growing, and all that we're called to be.